0: Take take them out and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes this morning, page uh, 553, 553, as we begin our second sermon uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, page 553, if you're using the Pew Bible, that is. In your Bible, if you brought one, I don't know what page number it is. So, So, uh, there are a few songs that have more philosophical uh, relevance for us than the Rolling Stones' I can't get no satisfaction, right? I can't get no satisfaction. I'm amazed by this song and its philosophical themes. Uh, Keith Richards, uh, the guitarist, lead guitarist for the Rolling Stones, was asleep in a hotel room in uh, 1965. They were touring. He was asleep in a hotel room in Clearwater, Florida. He woke up in the middle of the night with the guitar riff in his head. He woke up, he, he, hit, he kept a recorder, cassette recorder or something, whatever it was in 1965, next to his bed, and he played the little guitar lick, and then he fell asleep, and for the rest of the night you can hear him snoring on the recording uh, because he just left it recording, he, he fell asleep. He woke up the next morning, he kind of threw it together, he took it to a recording studio, and he and Mick Jagger worked on it for a couple of weeks, They really didn't like the song. They didn't like what they had done. And Mick Jagger, I mean, Keith Richards to this day says they didn't really capture what he was trying to capture in the song, but it became one of their biggest hits. And what's amazing to to me about it was this was 1965. Um, Color TV was just becoming a thing. They played it on the Ed Sullivan Show, and it was wildly controversial that they played the song because of the themes that were involved with it. Um, So much so that you can go back and watch that recording and they kind of tone down the vocals because they don't want you to hear the words of the song. Uh, Later, as they have remastered that song, they have turned the vocals up so that you can get a better understanding of what the words say. Well, there are two basic themes in that song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Essentially, it's this, that as much as they try to pursue pleasure... It never satisfies. And in the song, he details how he tries to pursue pleasure. He pursues it by chasing women and partying. And then also he pursues it by possessions and accumulating possessions and trying to make himself happy with possessions. And even that, he says, he can't get no satisfaction. What's really fascinating about it is they were about 23 years old when they they wrote this song it was three years from the point when they hit the big times. And after three years of hitting it big and having money and fame and all of that, they said, we can't find any satisfaction in the things of this world. And that's the essential message that you see in chapter two of the book of Ecclesiastes. And in some ways, that song mirrors what Solomon is going to say here, that in the pursuit of, Of the things of this world, they're going to be empty. And you're going to find out that they are emptiness. And then at the end of it, he's going to give us the way out of the emptiness of the things of this world. So let me read this for us. I'm going to read the entire chapter, verses 1 through 26. And remember, this is God's good and kind and gracious word to you this morning. So King Solomon says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding, guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of the growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been born before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines that delight of the children of man." So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there was more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool? What, What will happen to me also? Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For all of the wise are as the fool. There is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which... I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also was vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him who can eat or have enjoyment... For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding his word. Pray with me. Our great God, we thank you for this word that you have given us, this word that is our light. It helps us to see. I pray, Father, that we would understand it today. And that we would not uh, toil after things that are u- useless, but that we would work for things that are eternal. And that we would enjoy the things that you have given us to enjoy. Lord, give us wisdom to understand this passage and to apply it to our lives. Transform us by your word. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning I'm going to look at this passage in three ways. It's essentially three things uh, that Solomon says are vapor. And re- you have to remember that last week, uh, you know, this word "vanity" that's translated in the English Standard Version really should should be translated something like "vapor." It's it's ephemeral. It goes quickly. And there are three things in this passage that he, that Solomon says go quickly. They're vapor. First one is pleasure. And so verses one through eleven. Solomon tells us that he essentially in his life pursued three types of pleasure. And you have to remember, he was extremely wealthy. He tells us he was extremely wealthy. If you want a detailed uh, account of his wealth, you can go to 1 Kings and read the first 12 chapters of 1 Kings, and you can see just how wealthy he was. He was massively wealthy. And he says to himself, well, with all of this wealth that I have, surely I can enjoy life, the life that I have. And so he says, I'm going to do what men do. They pursue pleasure. And so he pursues three types of pleasure. He pursues the pleasure of his appetites. Essentially, he pursues fine wine or good wine. And a lot of it, he pursues women. And a lot of women, he pursues good food. And partying, he pursues his appetites. Secondly, he pursues beauty. It's another thing that men will do. They will they will pursue beauty in various forms. Specifically, the beauty of art and the beauty of music. And so you see this here, uh, with all of his wealth, he accumulates artists, he accumulates singers, uh, and all of these things. And he tries to fill his life with the pleasure of beauty. And then the third thing he does is. He tries to find pleasure in his possessions. And so he pursues possessions. He accumulates a lot of stuff with his wealth. All of the best technology of the day. He brings it into his palace. And all of the best things that he can have. He buys them and he brings them into his house. He has an entire zoo uh, that he uh, sets up in his house. And and other kings and other uh, emissaries from other countries will come and bring him Lots of different uh, animals, and you'll see these animals listed in First Kings. He pursues possessions and technology, the accumulation of stuff. Those three things, he tries to find pleasure in his appetites, pleasure in beauty, and pleasure in possessions. Now, evangelicals like us get really nervous about passages like this. Because you look at this and you say, okay, he says in verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. And through here, he obviously says that he pursues extramarital affairs. It's obvious. And we know from his life, and First Kings tells us this, that he pursued other women other than his wife. He had concubines. And in here, it says that he had lots of slaves. And when it says that he had slaves born in his household... The understanding is that they were his children that were born to him. We need to understand that that Solomon was pursuing pleasure in order to find joy. And what he's not doing in this is telling us, hey, you need to do this as well, obviously. We need to be thankful that Solomon does these foolish things so that we can learn from him in doing this. He is playing with fire. And we don't need to play with fire to know that you get burned by playing with fire. And as much as we might get nervous about these things, we need to look at these things and address these things because this is the reality of the world that we live in. We live in a world full of people that are pursuing pleasure and pursuing all of these things. So Solomon, he pursued all of the things that he wanted. If his eye wanted it, he went after it. And he took it for himself and he got it. And what was the result of all of his pursuing his pleasure? He got bored. He got bored with all of it. Boredom is a really interesting thing. We were driving in the car, and Alexander said at four years old for the first time, I'm so bored. I mean, at four years old, with all of the stuff that he has. And he was in in the car, and he had stuff in front of him. He had an iPad they could play with. I'm so bored. Have you ever said that with your life? with all of the things that we have available to us, with all of the entertainment, I guarantee you right now 75 to 80 percent of you could pull out your phones and pull up Netflix and if you got bored enough with this sermon, you could just watch a movie and pass the time. And you know what happens with it? You get bored with all of those things. That's what happens with seeking pleasure in this life. The more you pursue pleasure, the more you get bored with those things. And Even worse, the more you need all of the things of life, all of those pleasures, more and more of it to make you happy. Boredom flows from it. And then do you know what happens after you pursue all of this pleasure and all of these things? You die. At the end of your life, you die. You know that's what happens to everyone at the end of their life? They die. (laughs) At the end of your life, pursuing pleasure, you're going to die. And I was thinking about Billy Joel's Only the Good Die Young that song it's a very catchy song. And that's one of the, another one of those songs where he's trying to convince a young girl to pursue all of the pleasures that life is offering her and her Catholic upbringing didn't give her. And he says, you know, only the good die young. He's using this line as a lie to tell her that pursuing pleasure is going to satisfy you. And, of course, it doesn't satisfy. Because you can combine only the good die young with the piano man. And the absolute loneliness and sadness of the people in that song, The Piano Man, who are sitting in a bar getting drunk. They're sharing a drink called loneliness because it's better than drinking alone, right? That's the end of the pursuing of pleasure. The problem with pleasure is that it doesn't last. And Solomon says, I pursued all of these things, and you know what it was? It was vanity. He uses a phrase over and over in this book, striving after the wind. He actually it actually can be translated as I was eating the wind. Just like I said in the children's sermon, eating nothing, and it didn't satisfy, it didn't bring it any kind of ultimate lasting pleasure. The buzz wore off, the bed was empty, and so was I. This is a truth that we need to hear. And it's not a truth that says pleasure is bad because you were made for pleasure. Did you know that? That God made you for pleasure. God brought Adam and Eve together and said, y'all have fun. (laughs) They were made for pleasure. And what sin does is it takes the pleasurable things of the world and it says, I can use these things how I want to use them and, and I can do with them what I want Not giving credit to God and living under his authority. But we were made for pleasure. And God does not want you to not have fun in this world. We are meant to have fun. And this is actually, believe it or not, a pillar of Presbyterian theology. This is one of the main things that we need to be teaching. That we are all about fun. But it's a particular kind of fun. The Shorter Catechism The first question is, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You you and I were made for enjoyment. The enjoyment of God forever and ever and ever. You see, the pleasures of this world are going to fade away and wear off. But pursuing the pleasure of God and the things that God finds pleasurable, those are the things that give you pleasure into eternity. That's the first thing we see, that pleasure is vapor. Secondly, in verses 12 through 17, Solomon tells us something that most of the students in here would tell us already, most of the young people, that education is vapor. Most of the young people, as you're getting ready for school, to gear right back up, and you're going, what's the point in all of this? Well, good news, Solomon agrees with you. Okay, And in 12 through 17, essentially, this is what he's saying now. What I need to say uh, as a companion to that is education is wonderful. Education is good and necessary. And Solomon actually says that. He says, um, so I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. Um, Verse 13, then I saw that there was more gain in wisdom than in folly. Another way to say it, there was more gain in knowing stuff than in not knowing stuff. There's more benefit to being wise than being foolish. There's more benefit to having an education than to not having an education. So if you have the choice between having an education and not having an education, he says, well, have an education by all means. Go to school. Do well in school. And, by the way, I am a huge fan and a huge proponent of a liberal arts education. I'm a proponent of all of the things in college or in learning that really have no practical purpose in and of themselves. I'm a huge fan of those things. I think all of us should be studying things like philosophy and the dead languages, you know, the ones that you'll never speak in a million years. You need to be studying those things. Why? Because they are good in and of themselves. They actually help your mind grow and expand. They help you think better. There's all sorts of reasons why you should be studying these things and also because you learn a lot of history from learning these things. And you learn, like we're studying the history of Solomon now, That he made all of these mistakes, and we don't have to make those mistakes again. I think we should be studying those things. But then Solomon says, I accumulated all of this wisdom and all of this knowledge. And then do you know what happened? Do you know what I realized? Do you know what happens to the educated person at the end of his life? He dies. (laughs) Do you know what happens to the fool at the end of his life? He dies. For the wise and for the foolish, the same thing happens. One of my favorite books that was written in the 20th century uh, is called The Structure of Scientific Revolution. It's by a man by the name of Thomas Kuhn. Uh, I think it's a brilliant book that explains for us the way that uh, scientific knowledge works. And essentially what he says is that, and he says this as a trained scientist, as an empirical scientist who was taught to do things in a lab and get empirical information from a lab. He said essentially all scientific knowledge is faith-based. And that all science is, in some sense, or in one sense, is based on the faith of the one who has the knowledge. And he says you can go back and you can study the history of science and the history of how scientific revolutions happen, and every couple of decades there's a paradigm shift that happens in science, and we all think that the people that came before us were absolute idiots, and now we have this scientific knowledge, and you know what's going to happen in a couple of years? With all of our brilliant scientific knowledge, in a couple of years, there's going to be a group of people that come after, the, after us and go, man, they were such idiots. I can't believe they actually believe that. And that's the way that knowledge and education works. You can't put stock in that. And if you try to fill up your life with education, it's going to be empty. Again, that doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue it. It just means if you try to put stock in it and do with it what it's not what, what is not intended for it, it's empty. Now, there's an application for us, at least two applications. Some of you in this room are incredibly well-educated. You are at the top of your field, and you have degree after degree after degree, and you are super smart, and you know it. Here's what this knowledge should do for you. It should humble you. Because at the end of of your life, all of your education is going to be buried with you. And ultimately, it doesn't matter. You should be humbled by this reality. Now, there's some of you in here that don't have very much education, and maybe you feel bad about that, that you didn't quite attain to the level that you feel like you should have. You didn't attain to to your fullest potential, and you don't have that education, and you feel like you don't measure up. Well, this should encourage you. All of us are the same those that are educated and those that are not. We're all on the same level. Our education won't do anything for us before God. And even our lack of education won't do anything for us before God. Both of them ultimately go away just as we will go away. So education and knowledge is vapor. And then the last thing that we see in verses 18 through 23 is that hard work is vapor. And it's interesting that Solomon does this because um, we would probably in this room all, uh, all associate seeking pleasure and individual pleasure, seeking what makes us happy, and education and seeking education with, with um, pretty liberal or progressive ideals. Um, Think about the educated elite people in New York, right, and all these super smart people in Washington, D.C., and all of these people that are telling us how we need to live our lives and what we need to do. We would tend to think that education lends itself to being more progressive in ideals. And those people that are pursuing their pleasure and pursuing pleasure, well, they're licentious or they're using... um, the things of this world in a way that God didn't design. And as good middle-class folks with a good Protestant work ethic, we look down on them and we say, no, those aren't the ways that you find pleasure in life. The way that you find pleasure in life is you go and you work really hard. You wake up in the morning and you go to work and you work a good, honest day's worth of work, and that is where you really find pleasure. You provide for your family. And you suck it up and you just do it. And then the promise is at the end of your life, you're going to look back and all of your hard work and you're going to go, wow, I really did something. And Solomon says, you know, he thought about that and he did that. And Solomon actually worked really hard. He pursued pleasure, sure. He pursued education. But he said, I also pursued hard work. And you know what happened to him at the end of his life? He died. And you know what happened to all of his hard work? It was buried with him. He had accumulated massive amounts of wealth. And he says, you know, it's so vain to think that you can do anything with this wealth. After you die, some idiot is going to take over for you. (laughs) And they're going to decide what happens to all of your hard work and wealth. And what he says is there's real serious danger. For those that seek um, meaning in hard work. Again I'm not saying hard work is bad. And Solomon wouldn't say that either. But to seek for meaning in hard work is, is bad. There's a real danger in it. What can happen if you think this way. That, that your life is, gets meaning by hard work. Well I've, I've met people like this and so have you. You end up bitter and angry at the end of your life. You don't end up looking back at your life going, everything's great and wonderful and look what I did. No, for those that look back on their life and tried to find meaning in their hard work, they see it all as meaningless and they're bitter and angry. Many times these individuals are alone. I've already mentioned two songs in this sermon, so I'll mention a third one. All of you know it. Cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, right? It's a hard song to listen to. It's a very hard song to listen to because it's about a son that's asking his dad, Dad, when are you going to come home? And the dad is saying, but I'm working hard and I'm providing for you and I'm giving you all of these things that I didn't have. And what did the son really want? He wanted his dad. He didn't want the stuff his dad could give him. He wanted his dad. That's the end result, oftentimes, for all of our hard work. We need to be super careful about what we're actually pursuing in our hard work. Solomon looks back at his life. He sees all of this and what happens to him. He despairs. He gets depressed. Verse 22, what is man from all the toil and the striving of his heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all of his days are full of sorrow. When you realize that your life and your hard work, it really amounts to nothing. It's depressing. And it's hard. And what he's saying there is, oh, and, and there's this other thing. It, really interesting that he says, for all his days are full of sorrow. His work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. You ever get woken up, men, in the middle of the night because of your work? Thinking about the work that you have to do and the things that, are, that have to get done. This is what he's talking about. You're giving yourself over to your work. And you're expecting for your work to give you something that it cannot give you. And it's the idolatry of hard work. It's seeking God in a good thing. God wants us to work hard, but it's asking for work to give you meaning. Here's something that you will do. You will sacrifice all of your time and all of your money... In everything that you are, to whatever you worship the most. If you worship pleasure, all of your money is going to go to pleasure. If you worship education, all of your money is going to go to books. If you worship work, all of your time is going to go to your work. You're going to spend your time and sacrifice whatever it is you worship the most. And what ends up happening is you think by pursuing those things that you will control your life in some way. But in reality, you are being controlled by one of those three things. So what Solomon says is, I've pursued pleasure, I've pursued education, I've pursued hard work, and all of it is meaningless. So is there any meaning in this life? Is there any satisfaction in this life? He says, yes, and in verses 24 through 26, he concludes it with a resounding, yes, there is. There's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. He doesn't say you find enjoyment from, from, uh, apart from these things. You know, he says you find enjoyment while you're doing these things. While you're eating and enjoying your eating, while you're drinking and enjoying your drinking, while you're working and you're enjoying your work. Yeah, you find enjoyment in those things, but how does it happen? This also I saw is from the hand of God. That for those who are actually seeking the things of God and seeking pleasure in God, do you know what you get? You get joy and enjoyment and satisfaction in your food however much or however little you have. You get joy and enjoyment in your drinking, however much or however little you have. You get joy and enjoyment in the work that you have, in whatever it is, whether it's something really important or something really menial. This is from the hand of God that you get enjoyment in these things. Verse 25, For apart from Him, apart from God, who can eat or have enjoyment? Apart from the good gift of God to His people, We cannot have enjoyment, we can't have food, we can't have anything. You see, finding real enjoyment in this life, the way that you do that is you begin to say and realize that everything that you are is a gift from God. You haven't created yourself, you haven't made yourself. You are not a self-made man or woman. Your smarts, your health, your wealth or any of that is all a gift of God to you. Everything that you are is his gift to you. And to the one who pleases God or who has found favor with God, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. This is another way of saying something that Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you. Do you want to find pleasure in this life? Do you want to find joy in this life? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek God, seek him, seek the glory of Jesus Christ and who he is. And God says, and all of the other stuff of life is going to fall into place for you. And that's his promise to us. So to, in conclusion, this is a call to evaluate your life. Where are you trying to find satisfaction? And ask, is it really satisfying? Are you eating the wind? And I'll just encourage you to seek kingdom of God. Seek Jesus Christ and you will find all that you want. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this message and I pray that you would help us to understand it more and more as we live out our lives. We need to hear these very relevant messages because we are seeking after the things of this world to give us meaning, to give us pleasure, when only when they can truly only be found in you. I, I pray that you would help us to find them in you this day. In Christ's name.